Hey everyone, after more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to MikeyOp.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and the book is named Ardor, and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it, and I think you'll love it. Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week we have Tony Marr, is a retired industrial electrician, old marine, disabled, Catholic, ex-scoutmaster, sapiosexual, amosexual, who has lived in the same place since 1985. He's logged 150,000 miles on a motorcycle, and now he's an atheist and photographer whose current passion is writing a movie about ghosts, pixies, and vampires. Oh, and it's about death, so obviously he's a great fit for the show. We're going to discuss uh, almost everything he listed, as well as what he thinks happens when you die. And so without further delays, Tony, how are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. Awesome. And where are you living the dream? Oh, in Pennsylvania. And how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Oh, uh, I'm 65. I have to say this with apologies to your generation and every future American that I'm a boomer, and we have uh, screwed your lives over. Uh, what makes you say that? Uh, how did we, how did my generation go from being the uh, free love, anti-war movement of 1968 in Woodstock to our current culture where it's a bunch of old white people who are worried about their social security benefits and and uh, and boomers are doing great and millennials and whatever the gen z's or whoever their life is brutal because they have to pay for people like me you know that's really interesting cuz um i it's not that I disagree with what you said. It's just I think it's really easy to blame people for getting older and becoming scared and worrying about themselves. But I, I can't think of a generation where that didn't happen to them yet. So as a member of the generation right up against yours, I'm a little hesitant to call you out and be like, yeah, you're right. Because I have a funny feeling my generation, if it's not already doing it, is about to do it. Um, do you think that's accurate or do you guys think do you think you're generation was really uniquely like had an about face like turned around oh i i don't understand the turnaround it baffles me why people that went to woodstock now want to go and raid and and go to the capital and cause an insurrection i just don't get it and that's my generation that's doing it it's not your generation or Gen X or anything, it is my generation was the one that did the, and the I, I have to call it the Crusades, because I believe the Crusades are still going on, and the Capitol riots was just another crusade. So, And I just don't understand how this happened to a generation from 1968 from Woodstock, how we've reached this point where, like, we want to sleep with guns. Yeah, I mean, I I'm with you. I definitely have thought a lot of the thoughts you're you're saying out loud, and uh, it's just that I'm in a precarious position where I'm trying to bridge a what seems to be a huge divide between younger people and people of your age, and 
you know, I, I'm also baffled, but I can't help but wonder if maybe this is just part of like what happens when uh, we develop systems like, and I'm not even going to say it's capitalism. I think it's just any social contract system, but I'd rather let you kind of more talk about it. So what, uh, in your mind, what change would have to take place for your generation to maybe retreat a little bit and go back towards that summer of 68 attitude? Maybe I think everybody should drop a little LSD. Come on, you don't have to do it a hundred times. Just do it once and it'll change your perspective on humanity. And, uh, you know, Timothy Leary, who was the tune in, drop out or whatever his words were, I don't remember exactly. Like he set psychiatry back, you know, generation because LSD was developed to be used for psychiatry for treatment, for psychiatry. And Timothy Leary just, like, said it all back. Mm -hmm. But this country now, we're, how we've gone this far in this train, I just don't get. And part of it is religion. Yeah, so, like, speaking of religion, um, in your bio that I read, you were formerly Catholic, now you're an atheist. Once you're a Catholic, you're always a Catholic. It's like being a Marine. Once you're a Marine, you can't not be a Marine. I want you to dig a lot deeper into that because I don't understand that. I don't disagree. I just don't even understand that because I'm not a Marine or a Catholic. So what can you explain that? Do you know any Jewish people like that you're friends with? Oh, I mean, my wife is Jewish and uh, my mother-in-law. Okay. Can you ever not be a Jew? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I think you're right. A little differently, though, is the Marines because you enlist in the Marines. So... Uh, I, I still believe you, but can you explain that connection as well? Well, yeah, I lived in Canberra, Pennsylvania, in a very old house. We My family moved here in, like, 68. Like, our town had, we were, we could have been any television show about 1970 and being a kid growing up. Mm -hmm. So uh, part of my reason to join the Marine Corps was to get out of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Because it's exceedingly boring here. High school for me was awful. Mm -hmm. You know, I was bullied a lot. Mm -hmm. So I joined the Marine Corps to get out of here. I didn't go to war, but I would have. And, uh, yeah, because I was going to say, you were born, what, in, like, 1962? 58. Or 58, okay. Um, yeah, so, you, I mean. Oh, yeah, so, but I would have gone. That's what I meant. That's yeah, why I was like, I oh, I shouldn't gone. say dodge, because that word is pretty I loaded. man. You know, a radio man, board observer. I would have called bombs on anybody that told me. I was a Marine. I was trained to kill people, and I would have done that. And and you said in your bio that you were disabled. Were you disabled as a Marine, or are you disabled from a different experience? I'm one of the contaminated water Marines. The Marine Corps uh, at the Camp Lejeune, they, the dry cleaning uh, dumped their dry cleaning solution into the sewer system. Or not in the sewer system, in the storm train, and that leaked into the water supply. And then the uh, helicopters and the base uh, that had fuel stored let all that water leak into the fuel or into the water supply. And I spent three years drinking like benzene and jet fuel. So I'm a little nutty. Wow. I've, I've read about that. I had no idea. That's, uh, whew. I'm really sorry. I mean, I just, I don't even know what else to say. That sucks. 
I joined the Marine Corps to get out of Pennsylvania. And I went there, and they brainwashed me, and I would, like, I was a mortar man, and I would have called bombs in on myself. So are you unbrainwashed now? Oh, yeah. I'm a different person. And how did you unbrainwash yourself? Oh, through uh, learning, educating. You know, I, I grew up, I was a white supremacist, you know. I really believed that, like, black people were going to ruin the country. Being brown was, like, you know, I was raised that way. That, you know, the brown of America was the ruin of America, and that's what's taking place today. What was, like, a book or a person who influenced you to start questioning that? Oh, uh, once I was, a, like, I never knew a black or a brown person. You know, the closest language I ever heard other than English was Polish. And that's because I went to a church that, like, actually had Polish masses, you know, as an altar boy. And uh, they had Polish masses, and I would be an altar boy during Polish masses. They would have them, like, once a month. And you didn't have to know Polish because there's really no change in service. It's just the language. You just—the priest just looked over and, like, pointed or whatever, so— like, did you meet, like, a, a prominent, like, person who was of color, or did you, like, just pick up a book? Oh, no, well, in the Marine Corps, once I went into the Corps, I met other people. Okay. And of, of Mexicans, I had a corporal who I really, like, admired. But when you, like, looked at his back, it was just nothing but, like, huge scars because he was in an L.A. gang. He said he got caught in another gang's territory, and back then, carts and antennas, and that was the best weapon you could find on the street was just to snap an antenna off a car and beat somebody with it. And he got caught in another gang's territory, and they just ripped his back to shreds, and he had like two, three hundred lashings on his back from car antennas. You know, by talking to this guy, he joined the Marine Corps, and that, that's one of the things the Corps does is they like to get the head of a gang. You know, it doesn't matter which gang, but if you can get the head of the gang, you maybe get 50% of that guy's gang to go into service, into the Marine Corps. And they like that, They the these gangs in L.A. and New York City, you know, they like that uh, structure and that dynamic of the leader and, and following that. And that's why Marine Corps recruiters target gangs. I'm really appreciative of how honest you are, because I think it's really hard for someone to just open up on a podcast and say, I used to be a white supremacist and now I'm not. And I'm kind of calling out my generation. So I'm I'm into what you're throwing down. I do want to get to the meat of the episode, which is discovering how you went from a Catholic to an atheist. So I'll just do the shortcut question, which is what do you think happens when you die and why? Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. What happens when we die? Nothing. We die, we're dead. It's just like before we were born. Were you afraid before you were born? No, of course not. Okay, then why would, if you're not afraid of what it was before you were born, why would you be afraid after your death? Well, I think the traditional answer to that question is my consciousness was born, but my consciousness will remain after I die. That's that's what someone else would answer. That's not my answer. But uh, why are you so confident that there is no consciousness after this? Well, because there's no evidence. 
No, if I'm presented evidence that, like, I have a consciousness after I'm dead, uh, I'll believe it. But, you know, I've not prevented, I've not been presented evidence. So, so I want to push you a little further, though, because, I, like you, I've done psychedelics a lot, and uh, unlike you, they opened me up to think that there might actually be more after this than, whereas before I didn't think so. So I'm curious, you've done probably more than me based on what you said. With all those psychedelic experience, uh, experiences, uh, how has that not provided you with evidence that there might be more? Psychedelics, I've done so much LSD when I was young, and I, you know, I didn't, I'm not one of these people say I did it every day or anything, but I have, like, sat on the beach and, like, woke up three miles from my car with no clothes on and no idea where the fuck I was. What made me... Really, one of my turning points was uh, a preacher when I, I was a scoutmaster and I was doing Scout Sunday. And this preacher, like, asked everybody to pick up a missalette, which what Catholics would call it. I don't know what this church called it, but it was the pamphlet to read whatever. And my pew where I was studying with all the scouts didn't have it. So I grabbed the Bible and I opened it up to where he was talking. And this preacher, who you would know his name, uh, started to read, and he changed the main word in it like five times. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get done, and we're down at Scout Breakfast, and he comes and he sits next to me to eat because he's a preacher, and he's, I don't know. And... Uh, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, why did you change the reading of the Bible? Because I didn't have the pamphlet that everybody else read. I had the Bible. And you changed, like, the main word that, like, you changed the whole thing around. Why did you do that? He says, oh, he says, well, to get your point across, you have to, like, change the wording. And I'm like, so that's really all religion is, is, like, the preacher gets up and reads from a book and changes the words get whatever his point is he says yeah so i was just so baffled and everybody in the town of Benton, like and, and this town still is fighting civil war look up the fishing creek confederacy uh, that's our town's claim to fame is imaginary deserters of the civil war wow like this is civil war fake news the fishing creek confederacy <laughs> and uh, this town is still fighting the civil war here there's more Confederate flags around here than there is in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. I've ridden my motorcycle through those places, and there's more Confederate flags here than there. Wow, that's really sickening and disheartening, and uh, it's just hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, I've traveled all around the country. I've been to every state. I lived in Pittsburgh, which is, you know, Pennsylvania adjacent, I would say. Like, Philly and Pittsburgh are like these bubbles living amidst it but i you know i drove through it a million times i stopped all the time and i even stayed sometimes in the middle so like i know exactly what you're describing um do you have an ability to reach those people since you're from where they're from and like help them or is that just beyond anything you could pull off oh no no these people are so entrenched that uh if for me you know and and the other thing is everybody has a gun here so like, and there there are people here that like are just waiting for the new new civil war so they can start shooting liberals and Democrats. 
and you only have to go onto YouTube and bring up uh, Ted Nugent brings up has a whole uh, thing on YouTube where he talks about it's time to start shooting Democrats in the street like you shoot stray rabid dogs. And these people are fine with that kind of thinking. They're fine with school shooting. I don't understand why people are fine with school shooting. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously I don't either as the host of this podcast that's designed to help bring people together. And I, I'm really appreciative, again, of just how honest you are about all of this. So I am curious, do you have any hopeful promising like positive thoughts about any of this and you don't have to i'm not trying to corner you i'm just curious like with because you are very smart and you're very thoughtful and i really like the way you think and how you describe how you think so i'm just curious do you see a way out of this oh no i think uh we're seeing the last american president i don't see a way out i see this is the last american president these people i mean i drove by the gun shop today in Benton. And there were, the parking lot was jam-packed full, seven cars on a Thursday afternoon at 3.30. And there were seven cars parked there. The owner parked in the back, but there were seven cars parked in there buying guns. I talked to these. I mentioned I'm an amosexual. I didn't used to be. I used to hunt all the time. I loved hunting. But now everything is gone. We've like hunted things out and invasive species have killed a lot of things around here. And I lost my desire to kill things and I took up golf. <laughs> That's what you do when you lose your desire to kill things. You take up golf because it's the same. <laughs> golf and hunting are exactly the same. Not to digress. So I, I, I used to do that. And, uh, one of these Trump supporters came here this year when Kate was here and her and I were sitting in my garage just like chatting and these guys pulled in and this guy tried to kill me. Wow. So now I sleep with the shotgun next to my bed because this guy and his brother were lived down the road from me in the 80s and they became meth addicts. And then they got arrested, charged, they joined the Marine Corps that became empty, both of them became military police. Guys tried to kill me. Anyway, well, I don't want to get into that part. No, I, everything you said is interesting. And it's also like how we get big pictures is we listen to little stories and then we use like, you know, a lot of different parts of our faculties to put things together. And we make, uh, we get understandings without specifics sometimes more than we get them with specifics. So I actually love your approach to describing your world. How would you like to go out on this podcast with reference to death and our audience? Connect it all up for us. Oh, uh, I think that death and sleep goes back to mythology. Hypnos and death. I forget the Greek name for death, but they were twins. And sleep and death were twins. And their brother was Morpheus, who was the god of dreams. And I think that uh, when we die, uh, nothing happens to us, but the things we do in our life, like just me talking to you, is going to create a ripple. And when people listen to this, it's going to create a ripple. And then maybe something they learn from you or from me talking about these things will create another ripple in the pond or the universe or whatever. But I don't think we have this energy that we get reincarnated to. I don't believe in reincarnation. 
I don't think that happens. I think when we're dead, we're dead. But the things we do now when we're alive affect everybody, and they can go on for generations, just like me reading about mythology from 4,000 years ago. That's a ripple effect that I would like want to pass on. And that's, that's all we are. We're just passing on ripples of time and our life. And nobody's going to remember you or me after three generations. I mean, this, you know, in Mexico, they're digging up uh, six generations. These people pay to have their ancestors buried. And after six generations, nobody can afford to pay. And so they dig up the bodies and they put new people in them. Wow. That was a very profound answer, and the whole interview was profound for me, and you're exactly right. It is the ripple effect. Um, every time I think about quitting doing this podcast, which is not uh, anything, it has nothing to do with the quality of our guests or the quality of our audience, it just has to do with time management. Um, what keeps me coming back is exactly what you just described, which is that I see this ripple happening, and especially in my own life, and I just see how listening to intelligent and interesting people like you and being connected to you makes my life better it makes my life actually much better and i love knowing that amidst the people you describe you exist and whether or not you can change them you certainly can create a ripple effect thank you again for coming on the show i still encourage people to always believe in the ripple effect you described and to do their best to ripple goodness through the universe whether or not people around you are doing awful awful things it doesn't matter. Try your best to be good. And thank you, Tony, for reminding us of that and for coming on and sharing your world and your time with us. And to everyone else, we will see you soon.